Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone. It's Ben by myself. No guests for the moment. I just wanted to give the briefest of intros to explain the structure of this week's episode to you guys. This week we have not one but two segments with separate guests. Can you guys believe it? There's so many people out there using chess as a vehicle for social good that I wanted to spotlight a couple of them this week. Obviously, if you're able to help support these causes even a little, that would be amazing. I'll be donating the proceeds for this week's podcast to the Charity Chess Championship and the Philadelphia Chess Society, and I hope to see some of you at the Charity Chess Championship, but even barring that, I think you'll just enjoy hearing their stories and hearing the impact that chess can have, aside from our own pursuit and enjoyment of it, um, how it can help in the world at large. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We're doing something a little bit different this week, but there's an event that I felt that you guys should all know about that I wanted to to hear from the founders of. So my guest this week uh, created a charity event for chess that's going into its third annual year, June 2nd, 2019 in New York City. And what they do is they invite all kinds of chess luminaries, many of whom you have heard on this podcast. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and then they do some fun events and raise a lot of money for good causes. This year, the cause will be the David Rubenstein Center for Pancreatic Cancer Research at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. So you guys can see that's a mouthful. That's why I had to fact check it and get it right. But an excellent cause. And it's a really fun event I attended last year. So here to tell us all about it are Scott and Norma Merrow. Thanks for joining us. Oh, we're happy to do this. 
Thanks for having us, Ben. Well, I'm so happy that you guys do this event. Uh, I mean, it's 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 an incredible thing. I mean, chess. Chess, the game itself, in my opinion, hopefully does does good for the world. I mean, it, it can change people's lives, as we've heard from many guests on this show. Um, it can be a positive outlet for people who maybe have not found, found ones in other places. But it doesn't necessarily do a lot for charity. Uh, but you guys are helping to change that with this annual event. In year one, you raised over $20,000. Last year, you raised over $56,000 uh, for, for different... Um, different charitable causes related to cancer. And this year you guys are, are, as I mentioned, are uh, supporting um, treatment of uh, pancreatic. Pan- pancreatic cancer. Thank you. Um, Actually not treatment. We're, we're, we're trying to, um, we're trying to promote the um, prevention and the early detection oh, okay. of uh, pancreatic cancer. Okay. And how do you guys pick your causes each year? I think that we look for uh, causes that are near and dear to our hearts or to the hearts of our friends. The first one we decided to do for a friend of ours whose daughter was lost to neuroblastoma at only 12 years old. And they're very involved in a charity called the Band of Parents, and they look actually for individualized cures for um, neuroblastoma, and we decided to raise money for them in our inaugural year. And then last year, we decided to raise money for ovarian cancer, actually for the lab of a doctor who uh, saved my mother's life. And this year, we're doing it for pancreatic cancer, as Scott, um, who can speak more about it, had a friend who, at a pretty young age, uh, died of pancreatic cancer. And Scott, do you want to go ahead and talk about that now? Uh, Anything to add? Uh, No, it was just a close friend of mine who died at a very young age, and it's a uh, cancer that they really haven't made many breakthroughs on in over 40 years, and 91% of the people diagnosed um, do not live five years after the diagnosis. And so this, this guy a, was, but this guy had had young children and was newly married, and was a bright and um, vibrant guy who really deteriorated quickly. I think, as most people who have pancreatic cancer do. And we wanted to try to raise awareness uh, for this disease and for the um, early detection and uh, and prevention. Wow. Well, uh, that's admirable that you guys are doing your part. And I mean, of course, it sounds like you, your lives have been touched a lot by by people with different forms of cancer. And I'm sure many people listening have, have had similar experiences. So we really appreciate your, your doing this and all of the support that the chess community provides. I know that uh, the roads, uh, Michael Road, Sophia Road and Danny Road are instrumental in helping and uh, so many, um, so many chess um, personalities and grandmasters and title players pitch in. I, last year I got to attend and it was, it was just so much fun to meet so many people I've either watched their games online or talked to in person or people I hadn't seen in many years. Uh, last year, um, Maurice Ashley was in attendance. Robert Hess is extremely helpful. And I know he wrote about it for us chess last, last year. Uh, Irina crush was there last year. Jen Shahadi is going this year. 
uh, Pascal Charbonneau, who you guys may have heard on the podcast. And, podcast and way Sabina back when. Pfizer was there. Yeah, Sabina also, Pfizer and Elshan Moradi. They came body. in. Yeah, right? they, came, they came in from North Carolina. People it, came from near and far. Yeah, Targay Svensson came the whole way from Norway. Just, just incredible. Um, so yeah, and it's a fun event. I mean, I, I mentioned I, I this podcast exists uh, doing no slow, sorry in in no small part due to people who support the show and uh, donate a little bit. My uh, Patreon supporters and I mentioned to them in a note that this is it's rare that you get to. Uh, meet so many chess personalities in such a casual setting. Um, uh, you may see one or two making an appearance at a simul, um, or you may see a lot at a strong tournament. But then, of course, that's a business trip for them. They're they're uh, taking that very seriously, and you might get to say hi or something, but it's not as uh, casual an environment, and there aren't as many fun activities. So there's and they be- all give out signatures. They sign and they take pictures, and it, it's a really incredible. Um, event. And I, we have been told that it is the largest amount of grandmasters, even than any other open tournament, um, come, come to this event. And there, people are sitting around and kids are asking for autographs and all of the grandmasters, um, sign a board. And we have boards that we give out to winners of the different sections. Um, people who play or people who may beat the grandmasters in um, in the simul, and it's it's very exciting, really, for everyone. And later on, we even auction some of those boards because there's so so many impressive names on those boards. Yeah, and- we wanted it to be a fun event that can bring together the entire chess community, and we do that, and we do that through um, several things. We have a quads tournament that's open to everyone that's rated. We have a Grandmaster Simul, and then we have the Grandmaster Blitz tournament in which we auction off some of the spots for individuals to play against the Grandmasters. And then uh, my wife Norma runs the entire silent auction, which helps raise a lot of money as well. Yeah, there's just so much fun stuff to bid on, whether you're on a small budget or a larger budget. And it's not just chess stuff. There's like cool sports memorabilia, tickets to events, gift certificates. So uh, listeners, especially if you're on the Eastern Seaboard, but wherever you are, I encourage you guys. It's really worth your time to come. I'm hoping I was there last year and I forgot to mention it to my wife, but barring any conflict, I'll be there again this year. Um, and thank you. Oh, of course. It's, uh, it's, I mean, it's such a fun event. I wouldn't, I, I hope not to miss it. Like like I said, barring any major family thing, I'm, I don't want to miss it. Great. Cause I, I just wanted to say that we started this because we have a son who's a very serious chess player and we go to tournaments with him basically every single Sunday every single weekend. Sometimes we have to travel. And there are a lot of families who do the same thing. We're not the only ones that the tournaments every weekend. We see a lot of the same faces um, weekend after weekend. And we thought that there should be one day in which chess is used to help. Chess is used for good. And that's why we started this. And it's a tremendous amount of work. And Scott and I both work full-time but yet try to get this event together and we try to get it together honestly as as uh, inexpensively as as possible because we really want as much money as possible to go to the cause that yeah. that we are promoting for that year and we 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 donate all all net proceeds 
to to that cause. And there's ve- there's really very little overhead. And the school donates the space to us, Columbia Grammar and Preparatory School donates space to us. They donated last year, and they've been generous enough to donate again this year. And because the space the space consideration is um, is a big deal because it's it's a huge event we, where we need a room for a whole tournament, and we have a room for we have an area for the simul, and the silent auction takes up. Um, a, a big chunk where people are milling around and looking at the generously donated items. Yeah, it's it's very generous of Columbia Grammar to provide the space, and it really is just so many so many people pitching in and uh, and contributing. And of course, last year um, you had uh, Fabiano Caruana make an appearance, so it ended up being. Um, uh, I think even even more crowded than anticipated, but uh, so it'll be it'll be tough to top that. But I mean, it's uh it's it, it's an incredible event, and um yeah, I'm I'm excited I'm excited for it. So could you could you guys tell us a little bit more? You so I I was digging in a little bit to the history of this event. So your son was your son is he twelve now? Is that right? Yes, he turned twelve. Uh, okay, and I yeah, the article I read was two, was two years old from uh, by Jen Shahadi for U.S. Chess Online. So I'm glad to I'm glad to see that he's still still playing chess a lot. How's how's his chess coming along? Is he still enjoying it? Oh, he he loves chess. He's completely obsessed with it. Um, John Fedorovich is his is his coach. He's coming along with his rating. He's going to be spending um, the summer doing a lot of different chess camps. And right, right now, I think he is especially obsessed with Ben Feingold. <laughs> He's not the only one. Yeah, Ben's got a lot of fans out videos. there. And his videos. Yeah. <laughs> and and Daniel loves his his terminology. What what's the answer to that question? Fries. <laughs> that is a big. <laughs> Big statement um, in our house lately, and he falls asleep virtually every night to listening to a Ben Feingold video. That's great. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, Ben is. Uh, I I find him very funny. Um, the when I when I go to like the chess Reddit boards, it seems like eighty percent of people love him, and then twenty percent of people are like, "Oh, he's the worst ever. I can't stand him." But, but I mean, that's you want people who who elicit strong emotions because then you know the people with whom he gravitate the the people who gravitate toward him will really love him, and he is he's a a special personality in the chess world. Yes, and Daniel's looking forward to seeing him at Castle Chess Camp um, in in Atlanta this summer. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I mean, and and John Fedorovich himself is no shrinking violet. He, he's uh, no. <laughs> He's very funny also, yeah. and he definitely gives uh, Daniel um, a run for his money. And when he doesn't think Daniel's doing well, he said, don't tell anybody right. that I'm your coach. <laughs> right. That's great. And and I know last John's year... John's big statement is to Daniel is that you're my uh, second favorite student. <laughs> and, everyone, and then the natural question is, well, who's the first? And he says, everyone else. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, we love Fed. Yeah, he's great. Um, so, what tournaments uh, does David have coming up? And by extension, do you guys have coming up? Oh well, Daniel's going to be going to to Nashville, and he's going to he's going to play there. He just played last weekend. He played the quads at Hunter. Uh, what else does he have coming up, Scott? I think he wants to take this weekend off. <laughs> There's always another tournament. <laughs> and is he um um. Is is he doing tactics and stuff too? I know that some parents 
the, some parents have an issue where their kids love chess and they love to play and maybe even, as you say, watch videos. But in terms of just the actual grunt work, that can be more of a challge. Um, is is David in that category or is he? Oh, it's, uh, it's Daniel. It's I'm Daniel. sorry. I'm sorry, Daniel. It's okay. Daniel is, um, He. I don't think he does it for sometimes, <clears throat> for a period of time. He was, yeah, he was doing a lot of tactics. That was especially after he saw the Prestias. And the Prestias told him, you have to pre- you have to do tactics. You have to do tactics. For- so for a while, he was doing those. Right now, Fed, Fed wants him to play uh, on, like, a separate account. He wants him to play, what, how many games did he say? Four or five games a week or a day? What did he say? At least ten games a week on the ICC. Okay. And what time control does uh, Fed have him playing? Five minutes. Five minutes. Oh, okay. So blitz is okay because one of the things we talk about a lot on this show is chess improvement, and so and I feel like the consensus is moving towards speed chess uh, being an acceptable way to train. But there are some coaches who who still feel like you you need to play a, a, a shorter time. I mean, excuse me, a longer time. a longer time. The yeah. thing is that um, Daniel needs to remember his opening. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's a good way to drill open. So it's a good way, I think, for him to work on the openings and to see like some crazy things that may come across um, to you. So it isn't necessarily about moving fast, and in fact, Daniel moves slowly. And in in most tour- he doesn't play any short um, time control tournaments. He really prefers the, the longer the longer ones, and he almost flags on on all of them. Huh. So he tries to use up a lot of the time. So just because he's playing those, he doesn't even really play a lot of blitz anymore. Um, somewhat um, on after school on Friday, there may be some blitz that he plays those quick games, but generally he just plays those five minute games. I think to go through the openings and to remember the openings and the different variations of what happens. And and um, Fed spends a lot of time going over that uh, with him. And so for for that reason, it's helpful, not necessarily um, – I'm, I'm not a teacher, and I, I know very little about chess, but I think that he just wants him to practice the openings, and if he makes a mistake, then it's not a big, a, you know, a big investment of time, and then he can move to the next game. You had me fooled, Norma. You sound like a chess professional. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just know a few a few buzzwords. This has been in our – our son has been playing chess since he is six. Or five, and I didn't even know that Daniel liked to play chess. So he was introduced and, at Columbia Grammar? At Columbia Grammar, and Sophia Rode really gets the credit for, for pushing Daniel, and she came up to me one day and she said, can Daniel play in a chess tournament? And I said, do you want me to give up my Sundays to <laughs> play in a chess tournament? And she said, yes. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't beat around the bush. She <laughs> said yes, and then she said, she said, um, you know, can he take lessons? And John MacArthur was his first coach, and taught him chess for a very long time, and and that's how it all started. And he has been taking at least one lesson a week um, since since that time. And since I, that time, yeah, and it's, it's. I'm glad that he's that he's sticking with it, and I know that uh, Columbia Grammar is always a chess powerhouse, and uh, you know, I'm sure that that helps having other kids interested. Um, in terms of uh, lining up the grandmasters, I know that you guys have some good contacts uh, with the Rhodes and Robert Hess and Mark Arnold and many um, uh, local local chess stars. But how do you guys go about that? So, uh, do different people handle talking to different? Um, person, different, uh, you know, guests, featured guests, or is one person in charge of that? 
Scott's in charge of that, so go ahead, Scotty. Well, I just contact whoever I know, and in some cases I ask some of the grandmasters to ask some of their friends, and over time, you know, I've built a relationship with some of them, and they all are just so generous with their time and willing to help out. Cool. Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, and you guys do an incredible job. I mean, it's such such a lineup. And again, I mean, it's, of course, being in New York, it's New York centric. But again, I mean, you had you had Alshon and Sabina come from from North Carolina last year. Um, Tarier came in from Norway just to cover it. So and we, should... and we have people that come from New Jersey. Yes, exactly. Also, the whole you know, way I mean, from they New have Jersey. To go over the bridge. Yeah. It's still a toll. Okay. Right, exactly. If yeah. there's a toll involved, it's it's not free. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um so uh and for listeners who are wondering how how it works and thinking about attending, I mean, I know that that people will have different budgets. So it's to to come into the building, there's a suggested donation of $25. Is that right? Yes, it's okay. not mandatory, but it's voluntary, and it comes with uh, with lunch. Okay, so if you guys are interested and you're not sure how much you might be able to donate, and uh, but you'd, you'd like to at least come check it out, that, that gives you a framework. And then beyond that, there's the USCF-rated quads, which you may or may not choose to play. And then um, as, as the price points get higher, you know, and supporting the, this incredible cause, you, you get more opportunities to engage in more things. But even just showing up, um, I mean, there's a, a, you've never seen such a, a high number of grandmasters <laughs> in like such a small space um, in, in terms of uh, when they're not like fiercely competing, as I mentioned earlier. So I, I'm just, just giving it the hard sell for our listeners. And, and yeah, come say hi to us all if you guys can make it. And I just want to say that although it's for charity, we're using this to raise, to raise money, that just to come and to show your support, and even if you can't afford the, you know, to, to make a, any contribution, that's fine too. It's to come and to support the, you know, the, the chess community and to, um, and to be a part, I think, of such a, an exciting, an exciting day and, and to show that we can use something that we really love, uh, to give back. And I think that that's important, um, for us as adults and it's important for children to learn that. And and it's important for us um, to show our children. Yeah, you, I, in the article that I mentioned, the general, I know that you you guys mentioned you guys were quoted in the article saying that that was part of the impetus for doing this was to to show to um, provide an example for Daniel. Absolutely, community service and giving back. And Daniel, you know, also also gives back with chess in another way because he he plays chess. Um, with an older gentleman every single Monday. He goes to his home and he plays an hour of chess with him every week. Oh, that's great. And it's, an, and it's, another, it's another way to give back through chess. Yeah. And and so I mentioned year one, 20,000, year two, 56,000. Do you guys dare set a goal this year or just uh, try to do the best you can and let the chips fall where they may? It's going to be tough to top last year. We're going to do our best and uh, we will let the chips fall where they may. Okay, excellent. Well, do you guys have and, any... Uh, Sorry, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, um, I just wanted to point out, registration and donations can be made on our website at www.charitychess.org. Okay, so do, so yeah, I'll put a link to the website in the show description. And if someone is planning on coming, do they need to... They can... Do they need to... Uh, 
do any sort of reservation in advance or just uh, book the trip? Only if, if they want to play. Only if they want to play do they have to make a reservation in advance because we have the quad if they actually want to play in a, in a USCF-rated quad or if you'd like to play against uh, one of the grandmasters okay. in, the, um, in the simul. Then you would need to reserve reserve your place. But if you just want to come and maybe eat a little something or make a donation or look at what we have in the silent auction, um, and there are so many chess-related things, different chess memorabilia. And I remember last year we had a book that was signed by Kasparov, and we had a lot of really great things. We have something, we have um, a Magnus Carlsen chess set where the carrying case is signed by him, and we have different chess camps, and we have chess lessons from every single grandmaster uh, that you can think of. And and a lot of grandmasters, even if they're you're not local, ha- will do it Skype. Okay, great. And if – so I just want to nail down a couple more details for any guests that, that might be wondering. So even if they're coming from out of town, is there any danger – say someone books a flight to come here – um, is there any danger they would be turned away if it got too crowded or or once they make it that far, are they definitely going to be able to attend the event even if they're not playing in the quad um, no. necessarily? It's a big room. Okay. It's a big room. And, and even when Fabiana was there, we, we had room. Okay. Everyone and, is welcome. Great. That's good to hear. And and if uh, and uh, if someone wants to make a donation and they are unable to attend, uh, is there uh, can they do that through the website? You do it through the website, and then we also have a new um, thing this year where you can sponsor a player or a grandmaster as well. Uh, you just click on that link, and we've already start, started to see uh, people starting to sponsor specific players and grandmasters. So how would that work? How, how would the sponsoring uh, work? Well, some of the people signed up, uh, for example, the, the Titleman family, has been great about going out to their friends and family and saying, you know, our sons are signed up for the tournament. Would you please sponsor them? And then those friends go on the website and just click sponsor a player and then click on the player's name and can just make a donation in their name. Excellent. Okay. Sounds good. Um, So you guys mentioned that Daniel will be in Nashville. Will either or both of you also be attending? Oh, absolutely. Okay, it's and, a family affair on Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, yeah, my my uh, my family was the same way. That's funny. Um, so so for any listeners, I'm referring to the National uh, Elementary School Championship in in Nashville, Tennessee. So if any listeners are going to be there, um, uh, is it okay to include? Can they reach you guys through the Charity Chess website, or if they wanted to drop you a line and meet in person in Nashville, um, what would be a way to do that? Our email address is championship at charitychess.org, um, and they could always reach us through that. Okay, excellent. Um, all right, well, I think we have all the bases covered. Do you guys have anything to add? Please come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, come say we hi. We would love to see you there, and, and if you learned about this from the podcast, please tell me or Scott that you heard it on the podcast, and we look forward uh, to welcoming you and to giving you a nice shout-out at the event. Excellent. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you to everyone for listening and for your consideration, and thank you, Ben. 
Oh, that my, was so nice of you to do this. So exciting. Oh, my pleasure. I'm I'm happy to do it. Like I said, this is a, a one of a kind event. And, you know, maybe someday people will be inspired by this. And, you know, there will be satellite events elsewhere in the world. Because um, the there's so much chess interest globally that uh that that we want to we're happy to help if other people want to do this elsewhere excellent okay all right well thanks a lot guys i'll let you guys get back to your busy lives and uh, p- uh plan on seeing you in june june 2nd I look forward to it thanks ben take care Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess here for part two of a sort of special edition where we're highlighting some of the many folks doing good things in the chess world. These two are near and dear to my heart, even though I don't know them personally, because they're in my hometown of Philadelphia and they are board members of an organization called the Philadelphia Chess Society. Uh, They are both uh, classroom teachers and we'll get more into their background and what they do as we talk to them. So Jason Boy and Gabrielle Mosher, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks. It's great. So these three-person interviews are always tricky. We try not to trip over each other. But um, Gabrielle, why don't you go first by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became as a... Um, English teacher, if I'm not mistaken, became interested in chess. Um, Yeah. Um, So I am an English teacher now in a charter school in Northeast Philadelphia, but I um, came to teaching later in life, and I actually started teaching in the juvenile adjudication system. So I started teaching at juvenile lockups about 10 years ago, maybe. And that's where I learned chess as well. Um, as an adult, I knew how to play, move the pieces maybe, but kids in lockup don't have many options for things to do. The two things you can do are play spades or play chess. Um, so I started my chess career there with them. Wow, that is quite a way to be introduced to it. How did, um, how did the kids in juvenile lockup generally respond to chess? Oh, it's a, it's a huge game. There's a... There's just a lot of importance around it. It means something to be able to play chess. Uh, So it's definitely a way to build rapport and build relationships. And after being there for a year or two and playing chess, I started organizing tournaments. And the effect on on the students was huge. Huh, that's cool to hear. Now, Gabrielle, you can confide in us. Were you did were you naturally drawn to chess or was it just sort of like, okay, these kids are into it. I guess I have to play it. Oh, no. Uh, once I realized that they were playing, I was all in. Any any game that involves strategy or thinking that I can win, I'm all about. Okay. And and are you able to keep up with the kids? One common theme on this podcast is, you know, these these kids, they assimilate patterns so quickly that it can be hard for, for us adults to, to keep up with them. No, not at all. But I try not to let them see that. Yeah. And it can be good. It can be good for them to, to uh, bash our brains in, so to speak. And uh, Jason, uh, so tell us um, a little bit about how you became involved in chess, since I know that you also came to chess as an adult. Uh, yeah, I I was living in Philadelphia after I graduated from college. Um, I, was, I was teaching sixth and seventh grade, and I lived in a house with a group of people, and there was a chess board there. Um, and two or three of the people knew how to play, and um, I don't really remember, but I think they taught me just enough so that I could move the pieces and they could beat me over and over again. And so for my first instruction was just losing lots and lots of games um, over and over again. 
And in my school, I had to come up with an elective. And so my co-teachers were like, you've got to do something that's easy because you're a new teacher. You don't want to spend a lot of time planning your extracurricular. And you need us to do something that's cheap or free. And I was like, well, I just learned how to play chess recently. And they're like, perfect. We have chess boards. Oh, cool. Almost as soon as I learned how to play chess, I was running a small chess club at school. And is that at the school where you are currently? I should have mentioned your school. So you, Jason, teaches at the S. Weir Mitchell Elementary School. Shout out to anyone connected to Jason that is going to listen to this podcast due to his endeavors. And uh, Gabrielle teaches, uh, you might have mentioned Gabrielle, but Esperanza Academy Charter School um, in Northeast Philly. Um, so Jason, was that where you were at the time or was that the school you were you were already affiliated with? Uh, no, this was a different school. Um, it was this was the Penn Alexander School, also in the West Philadelphia area, um, and I was there for like the rest of that year doing this chess club. Um, the following year, I went to Mitchell, and it took me about another year until I started doing chess there. Okay, just got your feet wet and then brought it over. And when you, um, and do you find that kids are generally receptive to chess? Definitely, as soon as they. Actually, a lot of times, as soon as I introduce it, before they even understand, they're really into it. But like, the more they learn, the the more they learn about, the more they want to play. The better they get, the more they want to play. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of us uh, chess enthusiasts feel that way. Um, and just to give a little more background about. Um, the Philadelphia Chess Society, and you guys can hop in if I misspeak at any point. It wouldn't be the first time. But um, to be clear, so the the mission statement of the Philadelphia Chess Society is to facilitate trips for the Philadelphia Scholastic Chess Players to National Chess Championships, those being like Scholastic Nationals, um, to provide opportunities for Scholastic Chess Groups in Philly to create a larger community and to encourage personal growth through the game of chess. And I know that you guys have, have mentioned in the past that sort of breeding champions is is not necessarily your goal. Is that a, a fair statement? Uh, yeah, that that's correct. It's it's much more about what these kids can, how they can apply chess to the rest of their lives than just, you know, winning trophies or rating points. Gotcha. And Gabrielle, you said you, you mentioned that, that when you were um, in the juvenile lockup facility, you saw a, a pretty fast difference. So what, like concretely, what did you see uh, from the, from the kids who were playing chess? Um, things that we know from research studies, but, um, patience, the interpersonal skills and communication that comes with it, critical thinking, uh, more importantly, understanding where the person across the board is coming from and thinking, and then there's that transfer, hopefully to life. Okay. Well, chess players know that, that I love them, but I have to say we're not generally known for our interpersonal skills. Uh, it does teach sportsmanship, but so in that regard, I get what you're saying, but is that, is that um, sort of what you were getting at? It is, and I, and I really do think it does help with interpersonal skills. Um, although I no longer work in the juvenile lockup and I work at a wonderful charter school, um, what I see with chess players is the transfer from chess to communication and that, okay, I can think about what the other person might be thinking and then take that extra second before making a quick decision. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And um, it it is quite helpful in terms of putting yourself in in other people's shoes. And that's one thing I notice. I teach a lot of 
kids, um, I think younger than you guys predominantly teach. Um, most kids that I teach are um, age like 10 and under. And I noticed that that's a lot slower to develop for, for kids of that age than like middle school. Um, so uh, at what point did, so you guys, at what point did you guys cross paths? That's a good question. Um, probably a few times, but two, three years ago, just at local tournaments. Yeah. Um, and you came to the state championships the first time in 2017. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, I've been doing um, a chess team at Esperanza for about five years now and really wasn't familiar with scholastic chess at all. So my first year on the scene, I, I didn't know that you could go to states if you didn't win a city tournament. I didn't even know that nationals existed. Um, so I think it was my second year in um, that PCS approached me and said, hey, you can take your kids to a national chess championship. And who would say no to that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I grew up. I grew up in Philly, um, as regular listeners may recall. And in my school, I went to uh, Masterman, and it was not necessarily uh, – I mean, it was a wide range of demographics, both economically um, and uh, in terms of um, uh, ethnic background. But um, there were certainly kids for whom chess was was a life changer, as well as kids who maybe they would have encountered it in, in whatever they did, or maybe they even came in uh, with a uh, – an, you know – say, a father who's a life master in the case of the Shahadis. Um, so it ran the gamut in terms of uh, chess experience. But, but I mean, even in my experience, I saw how nationals themselves, there's just an energy and seeing that many kids and seeing the sort of broad-based interest and for, kid, for kids who are, it's their first time on, their, on a plane, it, it's a special experience. And I know that you guys just came from all girls nationals. So or I want to get the, the name right. Um, the 2019 All Girls National Championship in Chicago. Um, so, how was how was this nationals experience for you guys, uh, Jason? You can go first. Um, so, this is my second time going to the All Girls Nationals, and I feel like we end up talking about the trip for like the entire year afterwards. Um, it just tends to be a little smaller since we're only taking our girls, which makes it a lot less stressful, a lot more manageable, um, and you know, through that, just makes it a lot more enjoyable. Um, but it's also just great for the girls to just be around, you know, our girls and then to meet these girls from all over the country who love playing chess just as much as they do. Um, so it's all it's always a very exciting tournament. I, I really just love it so much. And how many how many kids did from the Philadelphia Chess Society schools uh, went this year? Do you guys know? Uh, we took a total of 16 girls this year from uh I think we had some homeschool girls and then from like three or four other schools. That's great. Yeah. And I, and I do think that, uh, it's, it's important. I, I think all girls nationals are, are, are a great thing because as a, you know, as a chess teacher, I certainly see that if it, it's harder for, or at least in my experience, um, girls don't necessarily retain interest. At least it, it seems to me at the same level that, um, that boys do. Gabrielle, have you noticed that in your experiences? You know, it's, it's curious you say that because I, I don't think that's the case. Um, they're definitely interested. They're so interested. They're so competitive. I, I have girls who are hiding tactic books behind mm. 
textbooks and classrooms. Awesome. Yeah. A, a, a rite of passage for any chess player. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that because they're underrepresented, because um, our girls are underrepresented, that it's harder for them not to maintain interest, but to overcome kind of those structural obstacles to stay in chess. And they happen inside the tournament and outside of the tournament. I mean, I think both of us could quote hundreds of girls who said that they've sat down at a tournament and a boy has said, oh, it's a girl, this is going to be easy, we'll be able to beat her. Um, and while that doesn't necessarily have a direct effect, it, it builds a culture that's not very welcoming for girls, which is what is amazing about All Girls Nationals. You've got uh, just an entire tournament full of girls who are into chess, and most of our girls have said that they're more nervous about this tournament than they go into high school nationals because it's more competitive. Hmm. Um, and the girls are more serious about beating each other over the board and then making friends afterwards. Um, our girls have said they've, they've met players from other states. They've gone over games together. It's a, an amazing experience. We need more of it. Yeah, yeah. And are there opportunities for girls in the Philly area? Like, are there girls-only tournaments? And, um, well, let's start with that. Um, there, there are not many. We actually, last year for the first time in September, kind of with coming back to school and kicking off what could be thought of as the chess season through our own first all-girls tournament. Um, and the organization ASAP throws a kind of small during the school day all-girls event, usually in May. And right in this area, those are the only two all-girls events to attend. Okay. Yeah, in my in my experience, they've they've not... I know that like in DC they do a good job but but in a lot of places um yeah there aren't necessarily many opportunities and I do think it makes a big difference at at the local level. So do you guys you mentioned high school nationals Gabrielle is that still coming up? It actually passed before all girls nationals. Oh coming. okay. So is the chess season over or do you guys have a junior high still to go? I'm I'm not up on I think junior high is like soon. The chess season never ends. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. And there are still two more nationals coming up. There's junior high and then there's elementary nationals. Okay. And are, are either or both of you going to those? So next weekend, I am going to junior high nationals. Um, Gabby is not coming, but you have... Uh, elementary nationals, then I will take a bunch of kids. Okay. So you guys have a wide range of ages, it sounds like. Uh, yeah. I teach... Currently, I have from kindergarten up to 12th grade wow. students. And is that all at uh, at Mitchell? or? Uh, so the school goes up to 8th grade. Okay. Um, but then I have kids who are part of my club, the Minor Threats Chess Club, who most of them have gone to school with me, and then they end up going to high school or moving or something like that and want to continue playing chess um, yeah. at that high level so they continue to come back and practice with us and go to tournaments around the city and, you know, our nationals with us. So would those practices take place at your school, Mitchell, or is there another facility you're able to use? Um, throughout the school year, um, for the last year, we've been doing all of our practices at Mitchell, and then in the summer we switch to a local library. Okay, good but, for you, keeping it going in the summer. Yeah, but sometimes we've had where we practice at the school and then go down the street to the library in the same day. 
but this year it's just really worked out easier to have even if you don't go to school come to my school okay yes and gabrielle uh what about you what what ages um do you, do you work with uh, so I teach sixth through eighth grade at a middle school, um, but we have an attached high school. So at the moment, we have sixth graders up through, I think, eleventh. We have a um, so we we compete a middle and a high school team, and the charter has expanded down to elementary. And we have a group of second graders who are going to be third graders next year, about seventeen, and we'll start taking them to tournaments. Cool. And one thing I should mention uh, before before we go much farther is you guys are not in this for the money. Uh, Jason, I know you won a, a $10,000 award uh, for your community service. And correct me if I get anything wrong here. but And you donated that money back to the Philadelphia Chess Society. Um, and this is, you know, a uh, I think it's it's a, a, a young organization. Um, so it it's uh it should be noted that um the that you guys are donating a lot of time and resources to this so i i just want to thank you i mean it, it's it's um and don't worry we're not ending the interview but <laughs> but uh but yeah i just want to thank you i mean it's it's so commendable i mean i i uh i teach chess as well but i mean i'm it's my livelihood and i, I you know i don't i I'm not going to say that I can't, but I, I mean, for whatever reason, whatever excuse I'm going to make, I don't, I'm not as generous with my time. So uh, I really, um, I think it's, it's awesome what you guys are doing. Thank you. Appreciate that. I don't think I realized you could get paid to teach this. Don't, yeah. It's a, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it hasn't, it hasn't, um, hasn't always been that way, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of after school programs and stuff where it's in pretty high demand. Um, but it can be hard to balance that with uh, like a desire to to work with kids of all backgrounds. I mean, because um, in most of the programs that I do, the parents pay for the program. I mean, it can it can take it as you guys know all too well. I mean, raising money for a nonprofit uh, is, um, you know, quite challenging. So how how involved are you guys in, in that aspect of um, of the organization? Uh, very involved. We're, we're a very small organization, so everyone does everything. Um, so we, we work on some like small grants. Uh, we do GoFundMes, raise money through Facebook or like the Amazon Smile program. Um, the school district uh, has been pretty generous in helping pay for some buses over the years. Um, but yeah, we're, that's, we're always working on that as well as coaching the kids, preparing the trip, organizing the trip, going on the trips. Yeah, it's I can't imagine how much time you guys are putting in. So, are you do you guys ever like call on corporations about this sort of thing or is it more sort of uh grassroots? It's been mostly grassroots and and it is a lot of time. It's 12 months out of the year, but I don't think there's a need for it. And there's a need not just for a scholarship for a few underrepresented kids who don't have parents who can afford private coaching. It's, it's a, a wide need that needs to be focused on those students who don't have a voice, who don't have a face in chess all the time. So I, I don't know. I don't know how you wouldn't give your time to it. The, the rewards and the impact are worth any amount of time. That's great to, yeah. Um, that that's great to hear. So do you have any, 
So do you have any stories, whether f- from this most recent all girls nationals or other trips of like sort of uh, light bulb moments? Like, have you guys, I'm guessing you've seen Brooklyn Castle? Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. So obviously an outstanding movie listeners, if you haven't seen it, um, I'm pretty sure it's available on, it's available. You can find it on the internet. Um, I'm not sure exactly where, but um, about um, IS-318 in Brooklyn where, um, Elizabeth Spiegel, a friend of mine who I learned a lot from as a teacher um, over the years, uh, spearheaded a program that went on to have huge success. Um, But there's a lot of sort of touching moments in that one being like they don't just spotlight like it's a championship level school, but they don't just spotlight the kids who um, win the championships. There's one kid who has goes many tournaments without winning a game. And then when when he wins a game, it's like a very, very touching moment and something that that parents and teachers alike i think can can relate to so do you guys have any like i mean i'm sure you're you're full of memories but are there any like personal favorites of stories from your experiences um one of the quotes that we, we that we often quote from our kids is uh one of my girls tiara benjamin um at her first nationals i believe it might have been junior high nationals in atlanta a few years ago um she was very down on herself she felt that she didn't deserve to be there um, that maybe she was letting the team down because she wasn't winning enough games. Um, and when we came back and we're going to local tournaments, a lot of people around just came up to her and noticed that her, her play had drastically improved. Um, and if you know you weren't on the trip with her, it almost seemed overnight. And so what she had said to those people was, Nationals changed me. Hmm. Um, and from being very disappointed in herself and thinking she had let either us down or me down or somebody down she came back and just had like this fire in her that she enjoys this and she's going to improve and she's going to get better um what she then did for you know the next four years and she'll be graduating um high school this year awesome and what about you gabrielle so i think that um one of the things that's important to us about this is that Every kid is that story because they're kids and what, no matter what background they're from, they all have that potential and it, and it makes that change in them. So there's, God, there's a million stories just from all girls nationals this year. I know that for my girls, at least, um, who are, um, 100% Hispanic Latina and come from a pretty similar background, the first year we went to all girls national, um, I think it was Yvonne said, even though it was all girls, nobody here looks like me. So there was definitely a quality of not just being female and underrepresented, but also being other and underrepresented. Um, and this year, because of the strength in numbers we brought, that was not the feeling. There was a feeling of team. There was a feeling of inclusion. I know one of our girls was going to drop out of high school. But the reason she stayed was because of chess. Her chess team is her chess family, and she didn't want to lose that. And so we were able to find an alternative. Um, I, I just know that chess changes lives, especially for kids. And I think it happens for all kids, whether it's the kid I have that moved out of special ed classes and into a regular classroom after he started playing chess or whether it's a kid who just has a really good time eating deep just pizza in Chicago because they've never had it before. Right. Um, and then can play chess afterwards. 
that that's awesome <laughs> yeah those those are incredible incredible stories yeah and it's um yeah i mean it's a common bond amongst all people but yeah it's um it's a special thing to 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 make that trip and see all these people from all these different backgrounds that again yeah like you say some of some of these kids might not encounter at all otherwise and i know that in the past for some of the nashville nationals you guys have rented buses how did uh how did the girls and and you guys get to Chicago this year? Um, that's our normal way of tra- uh, getting places is renting a bus. Um, so it's l- lots of long bus rides. I think we were on the bus for 14 hours, roughly, maybe a little longer. And that's typically what we're doing when we're going to nationals. Wow, that is hardcore. I mean, I, I probably saved significant money, though, correct? Uh, yeah, it's an affordable way to travel. You know, you fill that bus up and the seats then are, you know, relatively inexpensive. And the thing that's nice about the bus is you can swap out players last minute. Something comes up. Right. Yeah. It's harder to do that if you're flying or last minute someone can go who couldn't go. And that plane ticket could, you know, increase hundreds of dollars. But the bus seat, if it's open, it's it's still open. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. It kind of it's uh, more more inclusive. I would think, um, because, I mean, I guess you still have to pay for a hotel as well, but at least uh, it's one less frictional cost and a significant one removed. Um, and it's probably, do you find um, do you find it to be a bonding experience for the kids, or are they basically ready to tear each other's hair out by the time they get to, uh, to say, Chicago or Tennessee? Oh, no, it's, it's all part of the experience. Um, and I think this trip, it was supposed to be 13 hours overnight, and then our bus broke down. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, luckily at Cracker Barrel, so that we could have breakfast, and then I think we spent the next five hours taking over the restaurant. We wow. We <laughs> tournament going, um, and I think it's some of the kids' favorite memories of the whole Yeah. Huh. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I was just really enjoying that story. That's awesome. Um, um, so... Where are the remaining nationals, Jason, that you mentioned? Uh, so junior high nationals will be in – where are we going for junior high nationals? Grapevine, Texas. Grapevine, yeah. Texas. So that's uh, in like a little over a week. And then elementary nationals will be in Nashville. Okay. And dare I ask, are you busing it the whole way to Texas? <laughs> uh, no. Luckily, um, taking a small enough group that for Texas we are we are flying. Okay. Though yeah. I look it up and it is possible – you know, to, to drive there. It's not quite insane. Okay. <laughs> not so sure about that, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I mean, whatever it takes, you know, like, I mean, if that, if that were what you needed to do, I would, right. you know, it's always I, my attitude. We're going to go. I don't know how it's all going to work out yet, but we're going to go. Yeah. Okay. So last topic for you guys, if I mean, we're well, maybe one or two, but one, one topic I definitely want to hit if you guys are up for it is, um, we talk a lot on this podcast being a, a chess podcast, of course, about how to improve at chess. So, I mean, you guys probably have a pretty unique perspective compared to a lot of my like grandmaster and international master guests on this show. So as you come to chess as adults and as teachers, what have you guys found to be the best resources, both for your, your own trying to keep up with the kids and for your own uh, guiding of the kids? Um, Gabrielle, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, the um, the book I love and for myself, but mostly also for teaching is Jen Shahadi's Play Like a Girl. Oh, yeah. Shout, it, out, shout out to Jen. Absolutely. I love not only 
how it's set up, but having each chapter start with a picture and a bio of a famous woman chess player, um, you, you need to see someone who's like you doing a thing to feel like you can. And that, that book is amazing for that. I wish there was more like it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there's nothing like it and it's been around for a while and U S chess thanks in, in no small part to Jen, but, but to many other people as well is making, I think some, some inroads in promoting uh, chess for girls and women. And um, it's, I think they're having some success. So, Basically, all I'm trying to say is like it was more outlandish when Jen wrote the book than it seems now, and and even now, as you say, it's basically the only book of its kind. Yeah, and it does seem that U.S. chess is making a big push into both girls and women's chess um, in the recent year and years, which uh, is amazing. As a you know a team that has a bunch of young girls playing chess, so that hopefully there is a larger community. When we go to these tournaments, especially like bigger tournaments like states or nationals, where they they will be meeting these other girls and not just at the all girls events. Yeah, yeah. It's um. And Jason, what about uh? What about you? Any any favorite resources? Uh, for myself, probably my one of my favorite books is the Silman's Endgame book, which probably gets mentioned a lot. I mean, yeah, it's it's a classic. Yeah. I have to refer to it as the Bible. Awesome, yeah. Um, with with my kids, two books that we, we study from a lot are How to Beat Your Dad at Chess. Mm-hmm. And then from that same series, The Chess Tactics for Kids, I think it's called. Yeah, Murray Chandler, right? Yeah. Yeah, those are good books. Um, excellent. And do the kids, do you find, like, what's their preferred learning method? Are you able to get them to read books or are they more into the YouTube or the chess kid or... or- how do you? How do they like to study? Uh, for a lot of my kids, their favorite thing is – I'm not sure. Like They use different apps, but they just love solving – like chess.com or chesskids.com, solving tactics on their phones. Yeah. They love it. And yeah. like Gabby was saying, kids will get in trouble in class because they're on their phone, and they'll go to the teacher, but, but I'm playing chess. Right. It doesn't work, right? <laughs> but but, yeah. uh, but, but worth try. a try, yeah. All right, and we have a question from a um, – <laughs> Yeah, supporter of the podcast. He's uh, shrouded in mystery. Uh, mo- most of uh, most of the people who send in questions, uh, some of them I know personally, some of them I'm internet friends with, um, some of them are just uh, you know generous strangers. But Moonmaster Nine Thousand, the most mysterious, uh, making making a name for himself here on Perpetual Chess. Uh, and this question, I have to say, it's not the way I would phrase it, but I am not going to edit Mr. Moonmaster 9000. So here is the question, uh, and you guys can can let me know uh, your thoughts. So Moonmaster says, thank you for all the work you do to open up the world of chess to more and more children. In American culture, the stereotypical image of a chess master is someone who's good at chess but bad at life. How do you convince parents and skeptics that skills do translate? What skills do you emphasize? It's a very good question. Um, as far as uh, parents, I, I don't really have to deal with that at all. They're not questioning what we're doing. Um, but really, the whole way we approach chess is how it translates their lives. Um, you know, the things that everyone always says with critical thinking or problem solving, focus, um, but even just like the confidence and thinking about your actions. Um, and we talk a lot about it while practicing, and then especially when we get to go on these trips, whether they're just across Philadelphia 
or to another state about how we apply these things that we're learning on the board to everything we're doing. Okay, that's good. I mean, so it sounds like you guys kind of have a a rebranding thing going on. I mean, one thing I would say just to sort of clarify my thoughts about Moonmaster's phrasing (laughs) is uh, is um, certainly there has been a stereotypical image of uh, of a a chess player. I I wouldn't push back against that. But the idea that they're like inherently bad at life. I mean, okay, there's uh, there's Bobby Fischer. So there's there's no there's no running away from that. But overall, I mean, I think the the image more in my mind is just um, of it being a nerdy activity. Do you guys do you guys still is that still a thing in your experience, Gabrielle? Uh, so not at not at my school. Um, there wasn't chess when I first started there, and it was a fairly new school. Uh, so at the moment, we hold the entire trophy case. There are no other sports. There are no other trophies, and chess is. Chess is a movement. It is very cool to be playing chess. It's very cool to have a chess book, to have a board out. I, I actually think that uh, our male and female chess players uh, go on more dates than the rest of the school. Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. You, you, you're a great spokesperson for chess, Gabrielle. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, at IS318, of course, that's, as they say in Brooklyn Castle, um, you know, the chess players are the jocks there. So, I mean, certainly the perception can be changed. And I think generally, I don't know, this is uh, might be beyond the scope of this podcast, but I think that, that in this age of um, sort of uh, micro interests and the internet and people being able to pursue like the sort of the most tiny little corner of the world, I think even amongst kids, generally niche interests are more accepted than they used to be. Um, I don't know. You guys are teachers as well and probably have your, your finger on the pulse a bit more than I do. So I don't know if you, if you guys have opinions about that or not. Um, yeah. Um, I think that it's more and more acceptable to be really into whatever it is you're into. Yeah. Like you're saying with the technology, they can reach out to a larger community, even if it's not in your school or your neighborhood. So where maybe chess was a smaller thing before, I, I, I see it, it's bigger and bigger, but it's also, it doesn't matter that it is because, oh, that's just the thing that you're really into. Cool. I'm really into this thing. Right. Yeah. And it used to be like, okay, if you get into chess, you can go to the library and get your books and maybe go to the chess clubs, which were uh, back when I was a kid. Um, You know, shout out to Franklin Mercantile Chess Club, but it was not, um, you know, it was an imposing place. It was smoky and it was basically all men. Um, So it it was, uh, you know, it's you wouldn't necessarily automatically feel connected, even if you had like an inherent interest. Whereas here, as you guys say, you can find your people, um, even if it's virtually. It's, um, I think, a step in the right direction. Um, So I think I've covered most of the major topics in my outline. I mean, of course, we want people to to know the best ways to support what you guys are doing. Uh, What do you guys think? Um, Reaching out to us through... uh Facebook or Instagram or what's the other one? Twitter. Those are all good. Um, you can reach me at boy, my last name, B-U-I, at phillypcs.org. Um, those are great ways to get a hold of us. Okay, great. And Gabrielle, anything? do you have anything to add to that? I don't know 
you want your personal information or just <laughs> um, anyway. Those same ways, definitely. But uh, I mean, that goes for people who want to help support, get these kids to nationals, um, but also get involved in chess. Yeah. I mean, we need both ends to make this work. Yeah. So you need it if, if someone doesn't, I mean, if someone obviously in Philly is listening and is able to pitch in, that's great. Um, if, you know, if you're listening and, and you can afford to, to help support the cause, um, I mean, you guys can tell that the money's listeners, you can tell the money's going, going to a good place. I mean, you hear how it's changing people's lives. So, um, do you guys have anything to add before I, uh, before we all, um, start our bedtime routines here? <laughs> um, I know it's been said, but it definitely matters that not just in Philadelphia, but in in the nation and the world, but especially we feel in Philadelphia being here, the underrepresented chess players, kids, not only get out there and see the world and get that opportunity and that experience, but it's also really important for the world to see them. Um, and and we want to do both of that. We want we want to do all of that and make a bigger community, an equitable one that has awesome. access. That's a really good point, Gabrielle. Yeah, that's especially the part about the world seeing them. Sometimes that, you know, that aspect uh, of what you're doing gets gets overlooked. I mean, um, you know, I went to a fairly well off college, and I just rem- and coming from Philly, I was you know I was comfortably middle class, but I was a very diverse place, and it was just such a shock to go somewhere and everyone basically looked the same and had a similar background. I mean, obviously there were exceptions, but. But I mean, it's a really good point that sometimes we, we take that aspect for granted of uh, of 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 not just um, not just the people from a different background seeing things, but but people from the same background seeing uh, different folks. You said it better than I did. <laughs> um, Jason, anything to add before we get out of here? No, like usual, she she said it better than me. Yeah, well, I said it the worst, so. Yeah, okay, so I'll give you in the middle, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's the kids having access to these opportunities, um, and as many kids that want to, or even if they don't know they want to yet, um, just getting exposed to chess and then having these opportunities to travel and experience and meet people through chess is really what it's all about. What is it that you said? Chess is the medium? Chess is the medium. Awesome. Okay, that's a good note to end on. But I do just want to thank you guys, obviously, for coming on the podcast. But but more importantly, for for all of the time and the money that you guys are donating to to help these kids, it's a, it's an incredible thing. So, um, and yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm not too far away here in New Jersey. So hopefully, we uh, cross paths in person um, sooner or later. That would be great. Yeah. Do you guys? Uh, um, actually, I'll let you go, and I ask you offline. But uh, okay, thanks a lot for doing this. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to everyone who makes Perpetual Chess possible. Of course, that includes Matthew Passy, my producer, and Geert Vandervelt for supplying the intro music. I also want to thank everyone who helps spread the word about the show. That includes people who tell their friends, tweet about it, share on Facebook. Apparently, Instagram is a thing. Every little bit helps grow the show. But most of all, I want to thank people who support the show financially. I've said this before, but Perpetual Chess is my most gratifying but least paying work. If everyone who listened to the show were able to kick in $1 a month, it would be my best paying and most gratifying work. So I want to thank those who are able to provide financial support. 
That includes extra special thanks to Chessable.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, Dan O'Hanlon, Greg Shahadi, John Jernigan, and Todd Bryant. And I also want to thank all of my Patreon and PayPal perpetual partners. Here comes the list. You guys ready? Here we go. Ace Vallega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adam Vrancourge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Benjamin Handelman, BetterChessTraining.com, Bill Moran, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, I am Carlos Perdoma of ChessAtlanta.com, Chad Hilton, Chad Oliver, Chris Balcom, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood. Good job, Christophers. I am Christoph Zalicki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Lucas, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer. Good job, Daniels. Dave Saylor, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith. I am Elect Donnie Ariel Esquire. Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Frank Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Harish Srinivasan, GM Jakob Ogar of Quality Chess Publishing, James Bonastia, Jason Willem, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, Kari Christensen, WGM Katarina Namsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovrutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Laura Belyavsky, Lucio Casada Silva, Matthew Passi, Martin Habich, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, The Mysterious Moon Master 9000, Mr. Michael Shahadi, Nate Salon, Nathan Webster, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchek of DiplomatChess.com, Robert Steiner, Ryan Berg, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Steiner Lima, The Law Office of Stuart Katz, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Thomas Casper, Thomas Stanek, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, his book is coming to Chessable, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Victor Vrinkouj, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyano. Thank you, everyone, and I will catch you all next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.